Hello, and welcome to With a Grain of Salt. I'm Jenny. And I'm Cindy. We're two college undergrads still trying to navigate our way through life. Now that we've experienced a little more, we want to give you some of the advice we wish we could have heard along the way. We're no experts, though, so we want you to take everything we say with a grain of salt. Be your own person, and don't be afraid to question what we say. But we hope that we can still sprinkle in some of our own experiences to help guide your journey. Welcome back to With a Grain of Salt and Happy Lunar New Year. I hope you all have been getting your little home balls and have been able to celebrate with your family. If you haven't, well, Cindy and I can be your family now. And today, in recognition of Lunar New Year, Cindy and I will be talking about our Chinese American identity. Because if you didn't already know, Cindy and I are both the children of immigrants from China, and we grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, or Metro Atlanta, Georgia. So We've grown up as Chinese Americans in the South, and navigating our Chinese American identity will be the topic of discussion today. Growing up, whenever I came home from school, when I was seven or eight, I would immediately start playing this Chinese kids animation called Xiang Yang and play it on my DVD player and just watch that for hours. And I just thought it was the most entertaining thing. Looking back, I'm super thankful that I was really into it because that definitely helped improve my Chinese. And then in middle school, I kind of distanced myself from Asian culture a little bit, not in the sense that I wanted to be more white, but it was just I wanted to be the different girl. Like I was super emo and I was like, I don't want to be like them. And my friends at the time were all Asians and mostly Korean. So they were super into K-pop and K-dramas and Korean culture. So in the sense where I was like, I don't want to be like them. I was like, I'm not as into Asian culture. But then in high school, I reconnected with Asian culture again and started taking Chinese at school. And now I've been watching Chinese dramas with my mom. And that alone has just helped improve my Chinese so much. And that has helped me feel more comfortable speaking the language, which is such a core part of being in touch with the Chinese American identity for me. My journey honestly followed a pretty similar trajectory. Like in elementary and middle school, I was kind of like, oh man, being Chinese, nah, let me just fade into the background and assimilate with everyone else. And I think a lot of that was really internalized for me, like very hardcore internalized to the point where some of my friends know this about me, but I never learned Chinese growing up. Like I went to Chinese school for a little bit and then as it kept going, I was like, okay, to preface, this is so dumb. Like, I don't know what was going through my brain at the time, but I was like kind of embarrassed by it because I didn't want to appear, I guess, Chinese to other people because I want to fit in so bad. Like I rejected that part of myself. But I did feel that pressure to be like, I kind of want to be different. And I feel like every POC, not, this isn't just unique to like Chinese American, but I feel like anyone who's just non-white has that phase of their life when they're young and they're like, they want to be white. You know, I feel like every friend I've talked to, they can relate to that. They definitely had that one phase in their life where they're like, oh man, like I just wish I were white. And I know I definitely went through that. Jenny, did you feel like you had a phase like that or you wished that you were white? Okay, if you phrase it that way, then I definitely relate like that. I never went through the phase of I wanted to be white, like my physical appearance. But culturally, there was definitely a phase in my life where I would push away Chinese culture. And to this day, I still do that sometimes. Like, say, for example, I'm out in the park with my mom and there's some people around. To this day, I still feel a little uncomfortable when my mom speaks Chinese to me solely because it's not English. 
there's that internalized feeling of, oh, I don't want people to think that I'm a stupid foreigner, which is really problematic and xenophobic. But that is like a feeling that I'm still trying to combat and grow out of to this day. So culturally, there were definitely points in my life where I wanted to be more white and partake in more white culture than Asian culture. And that's crazy to me because I feel like nowadays people are now like putting it on a pedestal and being like, this is so cool. And like trying to emulate it when back in the day and like when we were in elementary school, they would make fun of us for it. And so it's weird to see the same thing that you were made fun of 10 years back. People being like, oh, that's so cool now. And you're like, wait a minute, but I've been doing this my whole life. What what switched here? Like. For me personally, there was this one time in my sophomore year, I was wearing eyeliner and I don't think it was anything special. It's just like a cat eye, but I just have almond shaped eyes because I'm Asian. And this guy comes up to me. He was like in one of my classes and I don't know what he was trying to get across when he was saying this, but he was like, your eyeliner makes you look so Asian. I was like, is that a compliment? Is that an insult? Like, I don't like, what are you trying to say? But either way, I was like, uh, Okay. And that comment like kind of got to me like I don't know if it was meant to be in a derogatory way but after that I was like oh maybe I shouldn't like make my wings so long like I don't know and then now I look on TikTok and everyone's like how to get the fox eye drag your eyeliner up like hold your eyes but I'm like that's crazy like people used to be like oh your eyeliner looks so Asian like little chink eyes and I'm like what's going on now it's a trend. I don't know. It's just weird to see how certain features or like cultures can be turned on and off as trends rather than just being appreciated as they are. It's like, oh, okay, like these cultural things are finally getting the recognition and the praise that it deserves. But also when's the switch going to flip? When's the new other thing going to be trendy and this is going to be like thrown to the side and people are going to make fun of it again. It's just kind of hard to tell when things are going to come and go versus when they're really sticking around because people actually appreciate them for like their core value. I think COVID has definitely illuminated how cultures and people can come in and out of trend. You celebrate perhaps like K-pop and Korean culture, but then when the COVID pandemic happened, you start alienating the Asian communities. And currently in my head, I'm thinking that the rise of K-pop and K-drama and the popularization of East Asian culture in recent years is possibly a reason why as to why a lot more Asian culture is accepted now. Definitely growing up, I was very aware of the stereotype of Asians have super small eyes that slant upwards. Like the way that Disney drew Mulan makes her look like that. And that was a stereotype that is still relevant to this day. So the fox eye trend, I don't know, kind of rubs me the wrong way. The thing that also bothers people with the fox eye trend, I don't think it's the actual makeup itself that's really like grinding people's gears. I think it's just the overarching idea that's like so prevalent in so many other things like it's happened so many times with other people's cultures as well where white people will take it and they'll do it and then suddenly it's like oh it's so cool where like these other people of color have been doing it their whole lives and like been ridiculed for it and then suddenly when a white person goes and does it everyone's suddenly like oh that's so trendy and cool when they were just making fun of the person whose original culture it's from like a few months ago you know Cultural appropriation, baby. (laughs) Also, the fact that you mentioned coronavirus, I feel like that in itself caused a lot of xenophobia towards Chinese Americans in the U.S., I'm really glad that by the time COVID hit, I already had like a good grasp on appreciation for my own identity because we had to deal with a lot of ridiculous statements about like Chinese people eating bats and like, ah, like I would cough in class and someone would be like, oh, like, do you have coronavirus? And this was like before it was big in the US. It was just like still a really big issue in China. They'd be like, oh, does Cindy have coronavirus? I'm like, no, like if it were my sophomore or freshman year, 
I wouldn't have been able to take that heat. Like I remember a lot of the time I would kind of egg it on myself and I would make jokes at my own expense about being Chinese American. Like, haha, like I eat dogs. I'm bad at driving. Like my small eyes, ha ha. And then people would laugh with me. And I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I'm the chill Chinese American who like lets people laugh at me. But like, no, I just look stupid. I'm just letting these people laugh at my own expense. And also that just lets people think that they can make those kinds of jokes when it's not their territory at all. The thing that I've learned with that kind of humor, which I don't think should be used extremely often anyways, just because... You don't have to be making jokes at your own expense to be funny. If you are going to make those kinds of jokes, it has to be about your own trauma and your own background. You can't overstep your boundaries and make jokes about other people. So when my like non-Asian, non-Chinese friends would make rice farmer jokes or like stuff like that, I'd be like, whoa, like you are overstepping your boundaries. Like that's not, that's not your joke to make. Maybe you can like laugh at it. Like, I don't care if I'm making a joke, I'm trying to make someone laugh, but that's not an invitation for you to be like, yeah, let me join in. I think that was definitely an issue that I had growing up was always trying to be like the funny, chill one. And so I would let people make racist jokes about me. And looking back, some of the things that people would say, I can't believe I would let them say that to me. I remember some very distinct jokes and I'm like, I don't feel like saying them just because I don't feel like giving that kind of attention to that. But, you know, you look back and you're all like, oh my gosh, I let these people run over me. Moral of story, don't let people run over you for the expense of a joke or something because it's just not going to be worth it. You can be funny in so many other ways. Racist jokes are never okay. If you ever hear somebody say that, please stick up for yourself. And if you hear them making that towards another person, those things are never okay. In my own personal experience, the jokes that I would make were typically more of the stereotypical, oh, I'm good at math because I'm Asian. I only remember saying that one time to a white person and everybody else that I made that joke to was in the Asian community. So in that aspect, we were making fun of the stereotype. But my experience with those has definitely been a lot more different than Cindy's. Somehow I managed to escape all the racist jokes. Like maybe microaggressions were made to me in the past about me being Asian. But I can't recall a time where somebody came up to my face and made a direct joke about me being Asian or me being Chinese. Oh, you know what? Actually, there was just a lot of people who called me Like they just came up and asked me, are you related to Jackie Chan? Because I guess Chen and Chan are similar. So they asked me that. But this is also when I was in third grade. So maybe I'll just let that pass. But a lot of people are surprised when I tell them I'm from the South and tell them I haven't experienced the direct racism that you think I would have. I was just always surrounded by Chinese Americans. Throughout my life, the Asian American community at dance has really been what I fell back on. And I definitely credit that with the reason as to why I never felt super alienated for being Asian American, because like three times a week, you would go to dance class and just be surrounded by Chinese Americans and be taught by Chinese American teachers who immigrated from China and would basically only speak Chinese to us. So there was always that support in the back of my head, knowing that there was this community that was basically like the exact same situation as I was that I knew that I could always turn to. I also relate on the fact that I haven't really experienced true, true racism, but like it's definitely been extremely casual for me. Even then, I feel like if you're experiencing that kind of same thing, you still need to stand up for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Just because it's super casual and you're like, whatever, I guess that's kind of annoying. 
it still is valid and you should still feel like you're able to be like, can you not do that? Because first of all, it's wrong. And also it makes me uncomfortable. Also the fact that traditional Southern ideals happen to manifest themselves more in the classroom for me personally, because a lot of my history teachers, there was a lot of bias in their teaching. And I think that's like an across the board issue. Like there is a lot of criticism on the way history is taught in general in the United States, because it looks through it through a very like specific lens and you don't really get the whole picture of how everything happened. I remember I remember in one of my A-push classes my junior year, my teacher, I don't know what he was trying to defend or what, but he was talking about the Muslim ban and he was like, oh, like the Chinese Exclusion Act set a precedent for the Muslim ban. So I don't understand why people are so shocked by the Muslim ban. And I was like, what? Is he just saying that people shouldn't be surprised or that the Muslim ban is okay? Like I couldn't tell what direction he was going in, but it's like random stuff like that that's just randomly integrated into our lessons that doesn't need to be there. And I would notice that would happen a lot with a lot of my teachers. They would kind of insert opinions and lace them through our lessons. Like I remember another teacher showed us this Ronald Reagan compilation and was like, this is the greatest president ever. And I was like, what does this have to do with like what we're going to do on the test? (laughs) Even though nothing was like outright, oh, like racist, racist, racist. I still think having those ideas being insinuated in the classroom does lead to a lot of similar ideology with students as they grow up and possibly more closed-mindedness because it funnels students towards a certain idea. I think that's what created the environment that I felt a little more pressure to assimilate in. Oh my gosh. I totally experienced what Cindy said, where it would be certain teachers inserting their own opinions into their curriculum. I can definitely see how that would sway opinions. But also just the mere fact that up until college, I literally learned nothing about Asian American history. I didn't know about the Chinese Exclusion Act until I was a junior in high school. So that was 11th grade. And the only Asian American history that I learned up until that point was Pearl Harbor, how Chinese helped build the transcontinental railroad and the Japanese internment camps during World War II. And only those three pieces of information, when Asian Americans have such a vast and long history and have been a part of many movements, but have been erased from them. So I would just like to restructure the curriculum, if I'm honest. In general, I think representation is just super important in developing that kind of identity. I remember when I was younger, like seeing Mulan was already like a big ego booster. I was like, hey, a princess that looks like me and she's the coolest. So she's automatically my favorite because she has this cool dragon that she talks to. And seeing that rise up, especially when we were in high school with Crazy Rich Asians, all the boys I loved before, like I understand that there are some criticisms that surround, especially Crazy Rich Asians I've heard. But either way, I think being able to look at modern media and be like, oh, look, people like me and they're not being used as like a gag or racist caricature. It's nice to be like, oh, you know, I can relate to someone who's on the big screen or even just having a community. I know for me, it was really, really helpful to have my dance studio because that was like my biggest bridge to the Chinese American community, especially since we were doing Chinese folk dance and stuff. And just being able to have that kind of friend group where we all had really similar background and experiences I think that's super helpful. And I was really lucky to be able to have that kind of group to fall back on. Now going into college, a big thing that I'm definitely doing to try and work on connecting more with my Chinese American identity is I'm actually taking Chinese next semester, which is a really big step for me because I feel like for so long, everyone's just been like, oops, Cindy doesn't know Chinese. And like all the adults in the Chinese community have been like, wait, what? Cindy doesn't know Chinese? She's 18. Why doesn't she know her parents' native language? I think it's definitely a good start. And 
I just hope that through those kinds of experiences and classes that I will be able to connect some more. And I also think just joining organizations and having that kind of community, like I said earlier, not only did dance provide that for me, but I also participated in a lot of volunteer based things. Like I worked for this one nonprofit that helped Chinese adoptees connect with their Chinese culture. And so in a way, it was a little bit of a parallel, you know, it was like these Chinese adoptees and they don't have much access to Chinese culture and they're trying to reconnect with their culture that they have this missing link to. And I'm trying to do the same thing too, but I'm helping them with it. So I just thought that was really cute. And that was also very helpful in me being like, okay, wait, I really do want to try and work more on connecting with my identity and my culture. Period though, the amount of growth that Cindy has had with this makes me so happy. Honestly, I've just reached the point where I'm like, you know what? Chinese culture is super freaking cool. And I'm so thankful for it because my growing acceptance of it has allowed me to improve my Chinese and build my relationship with my mother because now we're both super into Chinese dramas and watch Chinese dramas together. And one of the first friends that I made when I went to college was somebody that I met simply because we watched the same Chinese drama and loved it. Honestly, Chinese food is so good as well. So why wouldn't I embrace that aspect of it too, you know? Yeah, that's one thing. I'm so sad that I spent also my younger years not even just rejecting the language, but the food. I missed out on so many years of good food. Like, obviously, I would still eat it at home. But if my mom was like, oh, want to bring this for lunch or something? I'd be like, no, make me a sandwich, like a peanut butter. Like that's mm. like, I wouldn't take like dumplings to school because I'd be like, no, just make me a sandwich. And now that I'm thinking about it. I'm like, that's so many lunches of good food that I just gave up <laughs> so I could fit in with the norms, you know? Oh my gosh. I did that too, though. I was so scared when I would bring food from home for lunch that I would open it and people would be like, ew, what is that? And it was one of the few things that I felt like people could really attack me on. But you know what? At this point, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. It tastes good. And they're just missing out if they don't want to try it. I feel like even in situations where people aren't expecting traditional food. Okay, I'm just like referencing basically one experience I had where we had this like international food day for one of my language classes. And my teacher was like, bring in like your own dish for like five extra points. And everyone's like, oh, okay, bet. So everyone brought in their own dish. And I brought in these little like rice balls. It was like a rice cake shaped into a ball. So it was like, if you've ever had mochi, it was kind of like that. And I brought it in and people were like, ew, what's that? I was like, this is international food day. Like we're still critiquing <laughs> the food. Oh my gosh. That's so, that's dumb though, because rice cakes are it. You know, I am super excited for Lunar New Year because my mom always makes such an extravagant meal because, hello, you're celebrating the new year. You're ringing it in. And she always makes noodles because it's like mian, you know, like the longer the noodles, the longer your life and the more prosperous. So she always makes these noodles that I love and I'm so excited to eat. The meanings behind Chinese foods and holidays are so funny to me. Like, what's the, the I know there's one holiday and you make my opinion is going to just be so off because obviously I don't know Chinese, but it's like, you know, like donzu, like the, yeah, the like, yeah, rice yeah. wrapped with the bamboo leaves. And then apparently that holiday was started because was it like a general died and then they didn't want the fish eating the body. So they like put yes. the yes. <laughs> in the river to like yes. weigh his body down. Um, that kind of stuff is so funny to me. The history behind Chinese holidays is honestly super cool. I'm really thankful for my Chinese teacher in high school for teaching me this. But the history behind that holiday specifically in Chinese is called Duan Wujie. And it's about how 
I don't know if he was a general, but a super high official who committed suicide. And then they didn't want the fish to eat his body. So they threw these zongzi into the water instead. And now that's a celebration for every year. I love Chinese holidays. They're honestly so fun. You get like a good meal. You get to spend time with your family. And on Chinese New Year, as a Chinese kid, you love Chinese New Year because first of all, you get two New Year's, which is already fun. And also, everyone knows about the red envelope. I'm like, free money? I mean, I'll take it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Hongbao is so good. You know what I've always wanted to learn is there are certain phrases that you should say when you receive a red envelope from your elder. (laughs) And I just have no idea what to say to this day. Like, I just take it and I go, oh, thank you. (laughs) My mom makes me say it. It's so funny because I don't really know Chinese, but I'm like on Chinese New Year, like I'm pulling out all the Chinese because I want that red envelope. I'm like, I'm getting that free money. On Chinese New Year, she's fluent. Wait, I don't, okay. I don't even know if I know it now, but it's like, okay, my opinion is going to be, it's like, it's like, wait, it's a home ball. Not, okay. You know what? I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. Oh my gosh. It is like home ball, not lie. But there's a phrase before that or after that, that I don't know. Oof. Okay, I just looked it up and I learned and the internet told me that it's Gong Shi Fa Tai Hong Bao Na Lai. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That rhyme. <laughs> so if you celebrate Lunar New Year and you're Chinese, you know to say that when you receive the red envelope. The more you know. And if you happen to be listening to this on the release date, which should be Chinese New Year this year, there you go. There's your resource for getting your money this year. So we hope you put that into good use and we hope you're able to celebrate, eat a lot of yummy food, have fun with your family, and just appreciate all that Chinese culture has to offer you. And that's a wrap on this episode. Happy New Year and Xinyan Kuai Le! Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rate and review. You can also find us at With a Grain of Salt Podcast on Instagram for more updates and go to With a Grain of Salt Podcast.com for show notes. If you have any questions, comments, topics you want us to talk about, or you just want to say hi, feel free to send us a DM on Instagram or email us at contact at With a Grain of Salt Podcast.com. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. We're always down to have a conversation to help make our podcast better for you. But before you go, we want to remind you to take everything we say with a grain of salt because no one knows you better than you do. Stay awesome, and we'll see you next time.